Welcome to RenewCast, the podcast of Renew Education. I'm Noah Brink, and in today's episode, we are going to continue the conversation about spiritual formation. Over the last two episodes, we've spent time together pouring into this idea of spiritual formation, which is very core to the heart of Christian education. For once again, we are not interested merely in ensuring that important information is learned by our students, but that a certain lifestyle, a way of living well, is transferred to our students. That our students are filled with the goodness of the gospel, and that they are very much changed and shaped by the gospel of Jesus. That that is at the heart of spiritual formation. Today I want to even come a little bit closer into the heart of Christian education to become a little bit more practical and get into some more of the how. Two episodes ago, I gave a very 30,000-foot view of spiritual formation by addressing some of the general ideas when we talk about transformation and why that is a critical part of spiritual formation rather than simply nurturing conformity and talked about some of the big buckets within spiritual formation. Last episode, I talked specifically about the relationship between students and their teachers or their coaches, and why those relationships are a vital part to spiritual formation. And I argued that apart from healthy relationships between our students and those who are teaching them, that you're not going to see real spiritual formation happen in the lives of our students. Today I want to get a little more practical and talk specifically about rhythms and rituals and habits. Because once again, one of my fundamental assumptions when we talk about spiritual formation is that we're dealing with our desires and we're dealing with affections, we're dealing with the heart. Yes, I do know that most of our time that we we dedicate within Christian education, we're, we're targeting the mind. We want to make sure that our students have sharp minds, well-trained minds. We want them to think and to ask good questions, to make sense of the world, not simply just know some important ideas and important facts. We want them to be thinkers. But that's not just a discipline of the mind. It's not just a skill that we want as a, a part of the heads of our students. When we talk about whole child or whole student education, we're obviously concerned about the will, the heart, the soul, the body. And one of the things that increasingly I have been shaped in my own formation is thinking increasingly about our desires and our affections. If you want to see someone have lasting change, it's going to require a heart change. As I said two episodes ago, it's pretty easy to require conformity. You just have to find the right stick or carrot in order to bring about conformity. But if you want to see lasting change, that's going to happen on the area of the heart. We're dealing with the will. If you're going to get the will, you've got to target the affections, the longings, the desires of our students. Far too often, I believe that in Christian schools, we aren't selling a lot of desires and affections and longings 
that are that much different from what you would see in any form of edu- any other form of education. If you think about it, in many schools, what we typically focus on are here's some success, and we want to see success, and here's how you uh, get on the path towards success. If you want to be an attorney, here's what it looks like to be a successful attorney, and here are the steps you need to take in order to be a successful attorney, or a business person, or physician, or um, a teacher, professor, that all of the things that we often sell, for lack of a, a better word, but often we treat education as uh, something that we're selling because we're viewing our students as consumers. But Christian schools are not that much different in terms of what we sell because the sorts of alumni we target in the publications that we send out and the alumni that we celebrate is we want to see a certain form of success. We honor those, we celebrate those that have reached the top of their field. Look at the great things they're doing. And we tell our students that you too can be successful if you conform to the plan and the, um, the process that we put before you. But the difference about our school is we want to talk about how you uh, pursue being a successful doctor or attorney or author or musician, or artist, uh, whatever the field is, but let's talk about how you do those things Christianly. But at the end of the day, our students, what they hear is, well, if at the end of the day, you're selling success, and I'm success, and the Christian school is selling success, and I can either follow that path, or I can follow the one that my Christian teachers are putting before me, but at the end of the day, both are nurturing my desire for success, my desire to meet my objectives, my goals, that it makes the student the center of the educational process. And what we've turned Christianity into is an adverb. We basically said, we want you to run after the same things that the rest of the world is running after. We just want you to do it Christianly. Well, our students often, if they're thinking about it, they see right through that and say, well, then why not just drop the Christianity part of it? Because if the non-Christians are selling a path towards success and the Christians are selling a path towards success, it just has this adverb put on it of Christianly. Why not just drop the adverb? Both are selling the same thing. But those of us who want to see real Christian education, not education with some Christian influences, but truly Christian education, we understand that what we're selling is not something that caters to our students' worldly desires, but what we're selling is God. If you look in throughout the Old, Old and New Testament, God talks about the reward is him. He says that to Abraham. I am your great reward. And you look in the New Testament. The reward is a restored relationship with God. So fundamentally, Christian education should be about God, not the consumer. But unfortunately, we talk about Christian education. Here's why you need to learn this because of what it does for you. Follow this path, and that's how you will succeed at the next grade. Follow this path, that's how you'll succeed on the ACT. Follow this path, and that's how you'll succeed in college because you need to succeed in college because you need to succeed in your career. But if education is fundamentally about God, 
then the way we think about spiritual formation has to be a God-centered education. And a God-centered education is going to have to say, how do we then shape desires and affections and longings differently? Because far too often, we're not selling the sort of thing that's going to shape their affections and their desires to want more of God. And by the way, I've been very much influenced by Augustine and people who've written in ways that are very much based on St. Augustine, where Augustine talks about our hearts and our desires and our longings and our affections, and he very much believes that if you're going to shape someone's desires, it's through habits. It's through disciplines. It's through rhythms and rituals. It's one of the reasons why much of the Old Testament focuses on this calendar of rituals and celebrations, feasts, because God understands that we are fundamentally desiring beings and that our desires are shaped through rituals, through feasts, through celebrations, through rhythms, through repetition, through the mundane, but a certain approach to the mundane. So if we're going to be schools that are taking spiritual formation seriously, we need to take a hard look at the habits and the rituals and the rhythms of the lives of our school. And even there, I think that we need to be willing to ask, what do our rhythms say about us in the life of a school? What are the rituals and the things that keep showing up in the life of our school over and over and over again? Because those will be the things that actually say what your school is fundamentally about. I'll share with you a brief story. I remember years ago when I was a head of school, I was standing outside the front office to the school. It was an elementary school, and it was in between the busyness of the school day. The school building was relatively quiet, so students were in their classrooms. And I was standing outside the front office, and I could hear the sound of a child singing. The child was singing a song that this song was one that we sang at the end of every single one of our chapels. We had chapel every single week, and we closed chapel every single week by singing a song that was based on St. Patrick's Breastplate. Some of you probably know part of that, um, that text, this idea of Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ beside me, Christ within me. And so we sang a song that wrapped up every single one of our chapels where the students were singing about going through our days with Christ before us and behind us and beside us and within us that in all things we're seeking to recognize the preeminence of Jesus. Well, I heard this song around the corner from the office, so I just walked down the hall and I got to the point where I could hear the singing, and what I saw was a student walking back to her classroom from the drinking fountain. She had gone to the water fountain in between class, probably had asked her teacher, can I go get a drink of water? And then as she was walking back to her classroom, she was singing the song. I imagine that she probably was doing so subconsciously. She probably wasn't even thinking about the fact that she was singing this song. But because that song had been so deeply ingrated into her, it had so saturated her heart that it just came out of her. 
that she was singing about Christ before her and behind her and within her without even thinking about it because it was just in there. Her heart, her longings, her affections were being shaped. You could almost say, and she didn't even know it. See, one of the things that I think, and I am a lover of education. I love to read. I love reading about education. I love reading about almost anything. But at the end of the day, education and our schools, in some ways, I believe, are sort of like a Trojan horse. Schools don't, or children don't have a choice. Families don't have a choice. They have to go to school. That that's what gets them in the door. That they come into our school because they know they need this thing called education. And now we have a captive audience. And with our captive, captive audiences, what a great task we now have of using that as a way to shape their desires and their affections and their subconsciouses. How cool for a student to be so shaped that she's not even thinking about it. My niece and nephew, along with my brother and sister-in-law, they live in Belgium. They speak French. This last time that we were together, my niece talked about thinking in French. Because French, the language, the people, the relationship, the habits, had so become a part of her thinking that she didn't just think in English and then translate into French, that she often thought in French. How cool would it be and desirable for it to be for our students to think in a gospel vernacular, a gospel language. Once again, not just this message that's necessary for for salvation, but a message of hope, a message of repair, a message of profound need for Jesus because we recognize that he did what we can't. A profound sense of repentance a disgust over our sin, a lamentation over it, a recognition that it's a real thing and that we need Jesus to overcome it, a recognition that he has come into the world and there's real hope, to think that way without even consciously recognizing we're doing it. You know, there's a passage in Revelation chapter 4, where John talks about seeing these seraphim, these beings. got lots of wings. They've got different faces. And John tells us that day and night they were continuing to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I read that, and in my sinfulness, I think, how boring to just keep saying the same thing over and over and over. You know, C.S. or uh, G.K. Chesterton in his book Orthodoxy, I think comments on that perspective of mine where I think, how boring to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. But Chesterton says, but maybe humans are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. And he talks about repetition, and he talks about rhythms, and how 
even there we begin to see these, these ideas, these longings, the affections to seep down into our subconscious. It happens because it becomes something that we can't imagine life without. Spiritual formation requires a very dedicated commitment on the part of a school to say, what are the habits that we want to shape in the life of our school? How do you want to shape repentance in your school? How do you want to shape a propensity to recognize who God is and what he has done? How do you plan to shape a not just an appreciation for, but in a hunger for God's word? In Amos, there's a part where God talks about a famine, and he says, the famine that I'm going to bring is not a famine of food, it's a famine of the word of God. And the people of God in Amos probably didn't even recognize that God, the word was being withheld from them because they weren't longing for it, they weren't hungering for it. But we want a group of students in our schools that they actually look forward to hearing God's Word, and they can't imagine a school day without hearing it. They can't imagine a classroom without a teacher recognizing who God is and what God has done. They can't imagine a class without a student or a teacher professing that but for the work of the Holy Spirit, we are not capable of understanding the things we're about to study. They can't imagine a school day without a teacher helping students to understand that even in this success, even here, we need Jesus. That they can't imagine a school day without some recognition of our sin as a real thing that we're going to continue to struggle with. You know, I... I I think that that's something that we are we we as a culture struggle with. We struggle with the willingness to say we really need Jesus here. We really need rescue. To talk about ourselves not in glowing terms, but not at the same time also saying, but we don't have uh, the loving affection of our Father, but a healthy, sober understanding of who we are. People deeply loved by our God our loving Father, and deeply in need of Him. That is shaped through rhythms. It's shaped by habits. It's shaped through the day-in and day-out focus of a school that says, that asks these questions, what are the sorts of rituals and rhythms that we want to focus on to nurture certain values throughout the life of our school? What does your school value? Do you value excellence above repentance? Do you value success, worldly success, above love for our common man? See, there are habits that can be nurtured where students are very quick to pause and recognize the value of all people. Think about a foreign language class, where in a foreign language class, a teacher could train students that as they're learning about different cultures, to make sure that students, whenever they're learning about difference, to say, do you not see how these differences help us understand the uniqueness, 
the values, the dignity of all people, that no matter what they're studying, that teachers are habitually taken back to seeing the dignity of all people because all people are created in God's image. That when you see sadness, to say those people, they're image bearers. Those people who did great wrong, they're image bearers. Why should we care about the poor? They're image bearers. They have profound dignity. Why should we care about those who are different than us? What are the habits that we want to make sure that our students begin to see trickle down into their subconscious? And because they trickle down in there, they just well up from time to time. Those are the sorts of things that when we talk about spiritual formation, it's not just some ideas that we want to make sure that we've covered throughout the life of our school. By the way, I want my students to love the totality of God's Word. And if I want them to love the totality of God's Word, then I need to figure out how throughout the course of their academic program that they've been exposed to the totality of it. But how am I going to work to make sure to see that some of the rhythms and the habits that we've put into place cause them not to just have been exposed to God's Word, but for that Word to have trickled down into their hearts, into their subconscious? That we want to see students shaped. Spiritual formation. Shaping the students' hearts and longings and affections is not possible without habits and rituals and rhythms. And those habits and rituals and rhythms, as we talked about last episode, are not going to be recognized by our students unless they are done through real relationship. It's not going to stick simply because of something that we forced students to do unless they recognize that their teacher's walking through these things with them because the teacher has said, look how good and beautiful and lovely these things are. And I'm so convinced as your teacher that they're good for you that I'm also modeling those things because I recognize they're good for me too. That I don't just want you to be students who are quick to apologize or quick to recognize the dignity of all people. That as a teacher, I also am willing to do that. If I want to see my students to be the sorts of persons that are quick to apologize, to quick to ask for forgiveness, that are quick to recognize their need for Jesus, it's not going to happen unless they see that modeled by their teacher who's very quick to whenever noticed that we blow it. Because it's not if we blow it, it's when we blow it, that we're very quick to say, and even here, this is a reason why I, your teacher, need Jesus just as much as you do. Those are the habits that they start to trickle down into the lives of our students, regardless of what is being taught. Regardless of what's being taught. Let's be schools where we talk about who God is and what he has done. Regardless of what's being taught, we're quick to talk about need for Jesus. And it's not something that we just say, let's make sure that shows up in our chapel, in our Bible classes, and in devotions. But to establish a vernacular and a vocabulary, a common vocabulary in the life of our school, that all the teachers are on the same page. Once again, it's hard to have habits and rituals and rhythms if you don't get all the teachers on the same page in defining what those things are. If we want our students to carry out their day in a certain way, but all teachers are on the same page for understanding 
and celebrating and modeling what that is, it's going to create dissonance. But even when there is dissonance in the life of our school, for us as teachers to say, this is because of the fall, and these are an area that we're struggling, but we so deeply believe in the habit and the rhythm, the ritual that we're promoting here, that we're going to stick with it, even though I, your teacher, you, the students, are struggling with this. But if we want to see change, we want to see lasting impact in the life of our students, it comes through the day in and day out willingness to pause and to make sure that we have said, what are those things that we want to see in the life of our kid? What are the main things? Keep the main thing the main thing. How are we going to pursue it? How are we going to then begin to say what it looks like to model it? And then be willing to say, how are we going to chart whether or not we're succeeding here? I would submit that if we've created the right habits and the right vernacular, the right language, the rhythms and rituals that we want to see in the life of our school, you'll start seeing that in the way our students talk. That they won't use flippant language, but they'll actually talk about themselves, they'll talk about what they're learning, and years later, when they talk about what they were exposed to at our school, that it will match some of those things. I would love to see our students go into life with great success. But I would also love to see our schools be willing to have alumni that have the capacity to say, you know what, after I graduated from the school, I hit rock bottom, I made some really bad choices, and I'm dealing with the consequences of those choices. But at the school, I was exposed to the real Jesus. And some of those things, they seeped down into my heart. And even when I was dealing with the consequences of not only my personal brokenness, but the brokenness around me, that because of what had seeped down into my heart, I was able to run to Jesus that much more. Those are the things that we begin to say, we're seeing spiritual formation actually take root. Not things that just you have the fervency of with Jesus' parable of plants that spring up really quick and they're, they're either dried out by the sun or the weeds attack them. But Jesus talks about wanting to see root. The way that you see root, the way you see depth, the way you see richness is through habits. It's through relationship. And schools need to say and ask some of those hard questions these are going to be some of the rituals that we're going to double down on. And I would suggest that you don't have tons of rituals that you double down on, but you have a few. Part of it is the conversations, part of it's the practices. That your school should begin to say, here are the things we want to double down on, and then have a practical plan for equipping teachers to say, here's how we're going to do it. And then say, how are we going to evaluate its success? And be willing to own up to when it's not succeeding the way we thought and continue to reevaluate and get better at it. Spiritual formation is a challenge, especially when we're trying to nurture the spiritual formation of others. It's a challenge because it's a challenge in our own lives, let alone in the lives of those that we're trying to mentor and to lead and to shepherd. But it's a worthy task. 
and I'm thankful that you're exploring spiritual formation. Continue to reach out to Renew Education. We deeply love the mission of Christian education. We're committed to it. We are celebrating it, and we're thankful for the hard work that you do. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter. See us on LinkedIn. We have a website, renew-education.org. We continue to pray for our Christian schools and love to hear from you, to know how we can serve you better. Thanks for listening. Until next time.